0: Welcome to the Paranormal Sun, coming to you live from Tower Studios. As always, I'm JT, and each week, I'll be your tour guide as we explore the unexplained. Skeptics so often say, why don't UFOs appear in busy places? What if I told you they do? And more often than you may think. What about the busiest airport in America, at around 4pm? Do I have your attention now? I bet when you think of Chicago, the first thing that doesn't come to mind is a UFO. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope that you're doing well. I hope wherever you hear my voice, you're enjoying yourself. You've had a good weekend. You're recharged. You're ready to go back to work and get back into it. Same old winter weather here, but, uh, you know, as I say, we persevere. It's uh, better than uh, what a lot of people go through, so I won't complain too hard. It's been a very good week here at uh, Tower Studios. I've been able to get a few things done, I've updated a few things, I've joined a few podcast groups, it's been very productive. Both programs now uh, have each gone over 300 listens or downloads, so I've got 600 listens in total, more than that, uh, worldwide. Thank you to everyone who's listened, it really means a lot to me. As always, I've got my traditional shout-outs. To Harry and Lisa in North Carolina, as always, thank you for your continued support. I I couldn't do it without you. Eddie in California, Eddie and your family, thanks again, Eddie, for uh, always supporting me. Chris and Max and Chris's family in Illinois, thank you, Chris. My Montana family and the Fidianga tribe. Now, tonight's program is dedicated to my Chicago listeners. So, both Lisa and the team at the Quite Unusual Pod really good group over there. It's been great uh, interacting with you and thanks for all the positive and kind words that you've had to say. So uh, tonight's episode is based in your hometown. Well I don't know if it's your hometown but I know that's where you definitely live now so uh, it would be amiss of me not to dedicate it to you. Aside from that as I say everything's going pretty well here. There's been a lot going on this week all over the world. A lot in uh, the realm that this program covers. So the other day I was, uh, you know, in the in the living room or the, the sitting room or lounge, as some people may say, and I had the TV on in the background as uh, I often do, and uh, you know, lo and behold, I saw a kind of like a flying saucer uh, type effect on the screen, and I thought to myself, oh, that's weird. I looked up, uh, because this was you know, in the middle of the day, and I thought, it's not usually the time that you've got programs like this on. Well, lo and behold, I I had it on in the background, and it was on Fox News, and they were discussing UFOs, and it was quite surprising to me, and the reason I say that is, uh, you know, there was no sneering, there was no joking, there was no, you know, uh, jokes about little green men, or hillbilly moonshine, or, you know, all of the typical stuff that I've, I've mentioned before on this program that's so often attributed when people see UFOs. Well it was on the um, the Hannity report. Um, I think that's the name of the program I don't really know but the main host wasn't on there and he had a fill-in and he was discussing uh, you know A tip and um, you know kind of the, the newer sightings with the uh, Nimitz and a few other naval vessels. and I've gone online here and I've just had a look on Fox. And I've got uh, a rundown of an article here for you that I believe is pretty much, you know, discussing what I saw. And uh, so this was published on Fox Fox News, and I will include this in the show notes. So think of this as a bonus piece of uh, News of the Damned. Uh, I, I just would be really amiss if I didn't bring this to your attention, because with the COVID-19 and the... Kind of, uh, you know, societal unrest and different things that are going on around the world. This is when things like this very often slip under our radar and we don't even hear about it. So, um, you know, I'm just going to read this article to you very briefly. So it says classified UFO briefings may have left senators disturbed, Expert says. On Tuesday, the Senate Intelligence Committee made the unusual request to ask the Pentagon for a detailed, unclassified report on unidentified aerial phenomenon that some believe may may not be of this world. One expert thinks this may stem from lawmakers being disturbed by what they heard. I welcome this long overdue development, Nick Pope, a former employee and UFO investigator for Britain's Ministry of Defense, said in an email to Fox News. It suggests that those senators who received last year's classified briefing on UFOs, were disturbed by it, and weren't satisfied with the current DOD position, so that's Department of Defense, i.e. simply stating that mystery objects encountered by naval aviators remain unidentified. UFO Hunters, Rubio filing Name Drops Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force. In his report attached to the 2020-2021 Senate Intelligent Authorization Act, Florida Senator Marco Rubio, acting chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, instructed the Director of National Intelligence, the Secretary of Defense, and other agency heads to compile data on unidentified aerial phenomenon. The committee remains concerned that there is no unified comprehensive process within the government for collecting and analyzing intelligence of unidentified aerial phenomenon, despite the potential threat, lawmakers wrote in a report. The committee understands that the relevant intelligence may be sensitive. Nevertheless, the committee finds that the information sharing and coordination across the Intelligence Committee has been inconsistent, and this issue has lacked attention from senior leaders, they added. The bill still needs to pass the Senate. Lawmakers are asking for a report within 180 days of the bill's approval, so that's six months. In April, the Pentagon officially released videos of unidentified aerial phenomenon known as FLIR-1 Gimbal and GoFast previously captured by the U.S. Navy aircraft. The footage had circulated in the public for many years. They were originally released by the New York Times and To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science. And then there's a bit of a carry-on here about Tom DeLong, the, uh, the, the Blink-182 founder, who's formed uh, To the Stars Academy in that. But look, folks, this is, you know, really interesting. And this is going on right in front of your eyes. I mean, this is literally history in the making. For years and years and years, the government, you know, and and when I say the government, nearly everyone in the government uh, at a high enough level, so senators and congressmen, they haven't been interested in this. They've they've very much done what they're told, and, you know, they've been told there's nothing to see here, there's nothing to UFOs, just let the military do their job. And now, you know, here you've got some really pertinent questions being asked. So look, I think this is quite fascinating. Now, you would ask me, uh, you know, I think that if we were talking, you would ask me, well, you know, JT, what do you think is going to happen here? Well, honestly, I think that it's either going to be, number one, swept under the rug, so it won't get through Senate and the House, and with COVID-19 and everything else going on, people won't press the fact. I think it's either going to be that, or it's the other way, and the agenda is a slow leak of disclosure of some sort, meaning that someone high up wants us to at least know something as the, the public, okay? So I think it's going to be one or the other here. I know I'm hedging my bets but I don't think there's an in between. I don't think it will get through and then, you know, they'll say, "Oh, there's nothing to this." I really do believe that it's either going to be, you know, kind of brushed aside, swept under the rug, not pass the vote, or it's going to, you know, get get ratified and then we will find out something. I've got no doubt that you know, we're never going to find out everything that everyone knows about UFOs. It's too sensitive. It's been kept quiet for too long. But I do really feel that there are groups and entities out there that want us to know at least some of the details of, you know, this phenomenon. So look, this is really fascinating, and I'll keep an eye on it. I'll, like I said, I was just flabbergasted to hear this being discussed in the middle of the day on Fox, on Fox News and you know, without a sly grin or a joke about, you know, oh, who was doing the LSD? And it was really refreshing. So I just wanted to share that with you folks. Now on to the news of the damned. Now for those of you who don't know, Charles Fort was one of the real founders of the paranormal community as far as cataloging and releasing kind of anomalous data, things that didn't fit in with mainstream science. And Charles Fort referred to anything that didn't fit in with mainstream science, wasn't reported, and was excluded as damned information. Therefore, news of the damned. That's my homage to Charles Fort, and I try to give you three articles every episode of The Paranormal Sun on those topics. So the first one here, sorry folks, gotta love these internet pop-ups, don't you? Now, the first one here, my listeners in France will find very interesting. Look, apologies uh, to my listeners in France that I didn't give you a shout out at the beginning of the show, but hey, I really appreciate you listening. And this is something that was actually really fascinating to me because very few of these things that I bring to your attention, I have heard nothing about. Almost everything that I you know, bring to your attention. I've got a foggy recollection of hearing this or that or, you know, something along those lines. But I'd never heard of this. And this is quite interesting. Now, George Knapp is a journalist and I really respect him. He's a part-time host on Coast to Coast AM. And he's the man who broke the Bob Lazar case for those of you who know about the recent Bob Lazar movie. And he's been involved in Skinwalker Ranch and a lot of other things. And he's he's a very serious journalist. And I really like his style. Well, he does a segment on Coast to Coast called Naps News, and that's where I got this article. So this one comes from CuriousMoss.com. And again, for those of you who are new to the show, don't worry. I always put links in the show notes. And this one is titled, The Ancient French Pyramid You Probably Had No Idea Existed. Now, look, folks, like I say, I definitely didn't. Um, When I think of France, the first thing that comes to mind is not pyramids. So this one was from Ivan uh, Petrasevich and it was published on June the 27th, 2020. It says, uh, reports suggest it was the oldest pyramid in Europe, built between 4,000 and 3,500 BC. The pyramid rose to a height of over 50 meters. It was destroyed more than half a century ago to make way for a highway. I love pyramids, but not just because they are ancient. And we're told already to pharaohs such as King Tut. Sorry, we're old already to pharaohs such as King Tut. But because there are thousands of pyramids spread across the globe. Yes, the most famous pyramids are those in Egypt. Thought to have been built starting around 4,700 years ago. When King Dozier commissioned and envisioned the first step pyramid made of stone. But even before Dozier's majestic Saqqara pyramid complex, ancient civilizations built stunning pyramids. One of the oldest pyramid examples can be traced back to South America in present-day Brazil. Archaeological excavations have revealed that thousands of years ago, around 3000 BC, an ancient civilization constructed large pyramids made of earthen materials. The Brazilian pyramids are considered the oldest on earth. However, unlike their Egyptian counterparts, which were built of stone and stronger materials, the Brazilian pyramids were mostly built out of seashells and served as temples or gathering centers in ancient times. Now see, folks, I'm learning something here because I didn't know about these Brazilian pyramids. Generations later, after the Brazilian pyramids, other ancient cultures across South America also started building pyramids. The ancient city-state of Caral and their majestic pyramids are other examples of early pyramid development in history. Eventually, the pir- pyramid, pyramidomania spread across the globe, and different civilizations constructed striking pyramids. The largest on earth is located in present day Mexico, in the city of Chaula, with a total volume of over 4.45 million cubic meters. That's the Great Pyramid of Chaula. It's nearly twice as as large as the Great Pyramid of Giza, which has an estimated total volume of around 2.5 million cubic meters. Now, I've definitely seen this pyramid, folks. Great pyramids were built in the Americas. Another stunning example is the ancient city of Teotihuacan, and the three pyramids, the Pyramid of the Sun, the Pyramid of the Moon, and the Temple of Quetzalcoatl, the Feathered Serpent Deity. Again, now these, when you see pyramids in Mexico, you almost certainly would have seen these. But pyramids are not unique to Southern, Central, and North America. They are not unique to Egypt or Africa. There are pyramids scattered across the globe. Asia has countless pyramids of different sizes and designs, but Europe has them too. Although many people may be aware of the Greek pyramids, there are pyramids in France, or at least there were pyramids there. Images of what seemed to be a massive step pyramid near Saint-Andre have been circulating on the internet for quite some time now. Reports of the pyramid are scarce, and what little information that is available on the internet has been morphed throughout the years, changing from one publication to the other. Nonetheless, we can say that the French pyramid of Saint-Andre, if real, was a stunning example of pyramid building's techniques in Europe comparable in design to some of the most impressive pyramids erected in America or Africa. The pyramid is said to have stood more than 50 meters in height, so that's over 150 feet, folks, with a base of around 200 meters, so that's around 600 feet, located northeast of the city of Nice. Reports suggest that the pyramid dates back to around 4,000 B.C., which would make it one of the oldest pyramids on the surface of the planet, predating the Egyptian counterparts by more than 1,000 years. Despite its historical and archaeological importance, the pyramid was completely destroyed in 1970 to make way for a highway. It has been reported by the limited sources that make reference to the structure. And there's an excellent photo here, folks. I cannot believe that they destroyed this. Reports that flood the internet suggest that no official archaeological excavations were performed on the pyramid and there were no studies that were done at the site. This is a huge surprise. If there are no studies performed on this pyramid, then how did the pyramid come to be at least 6,000 years old? The dating method must have come from somewhere, which means that someone had to have studied the structure before it was destroyed. Luckily, small bits of information are hidden on the internet, perhaps not easily found. They exist nonetheless. One of the best sources I could find about the pyramid comes from a website called www.ecospirituality.org, which offers insightful information about the structure. The Pyramid of Saint-Andre, northeast of the city of Nice on the French Riviera, can be considered one of the largest pyramids found on the European continent. Constructed with the use of several steps of dry stones, the pyramids once stood more than 50 meters high and each side was approximately 200 meters long. It bears a clear similarity to other European pyramids, such as the Pyramid of Bornenes in Brittany and those of Guimar on the Canary Island of Tenerife. Although its exact construction date is shrouded in mystery, it is usually acknowledged that the pyramid was constructed between 4000 to 3500 BC. This, according to exospirituality, coincides with the area in which the Pelagians, also called Peoples of the Sea, settled in Europe, abandoning their fertile lands in the basin of the present Black Sea, which was gradually invaded by the waters of the Mediterranean. I've heard of this, folks. It's called the Sea People. The Pyramid of St. Andre constitutes an important historical testimony of European civilization that lived on the continent before the appearance of the Roman Empire and Christianity. However, despite its importance, in the late 1970s, the pyramid was completely demolished to make way for a motorway junction east of the city of Nice. The photographs taken by scrupulous observers just before it was demolished bear witness to its imposing size. Authors of the 20th century, such as Bonaventure Salvetti, Roger Chenervaux, and Henry Brosch, as well as images of the pyramid before its destruction, bear testimony of its existence. Now, folks, like I say, it's not very often where I've never heard of something like this. But, I mean, there's photos in this article. It's it's unbelievable. And it really pisses me off, to tell you the truth, that they just destroyed it because they wanted to build a motorway or freeway junction. So you're telling me you couldn't go around it. I mean, come on. This isn't a standing stone. It's not at one grave. I mean, this is amazing, folks. And, you know, it, it's really sad. This is what I personally have felt for a long time is a concerted effort by certain individuals to cover up our history. Like I say, historians will have you believe that we know 90 to 95 percent of everything that's happened, you know, since mankind's been on this planet. And I'm sorry, it's absolute BS. I feel it's more like we don't know 90 to 95 percent of what's happened on this planet. There's so many things like this that even someone like me who has been studying these things for 35 years didn't even know about. I know there's pyramids in China. I've seen photos of these back in the 40s during World War II, U.S. pilots taking photos of them. You know, I knew there were pyramids in different places, but I had no idea there was one in France. That's quite fascinating. So I'll put the link in the show notes. Make sure that you check that out. That is something else. Now, our second... uh, article here in today's uh, News of the Damned. I sent this to a good friend of the show, um, you know, Harry in North Carolina, because he's always sending me links. And, um, you know, it was quite interesting. This just popped up on our New Zealand news here. And I was, you know, quite surprised by this. And uh, this article is titled Tourist Holiday Snap Reignites Loch Ness Monster Debate. And this is from News Hub, which is one of our local media outlets. And this was published on the 25th, it looks like, by Caitlin Ellis. It says, a tourist in Scotland's holiday, Snaps, have reignited claims Nessie is alive and lurking in the loch. Steve Chalice from Southampton, UK, took the shots from the bank of the Loch Ness while visiting Urquhart Castle on holiday, reports the Daily Record. While taking photos, Chalice spotted what he thought was a big fish trailing through the water. I started taking a couple of shots and then this big fish came to the surface and then went back down again, he told the Daily Record. Chalice said he'd only captured the fleeting creature on camera once, but got shots of the trail it left behind. He said it was about two and a half meters long and he was standing nine meters from the lake when he took the photo. So that's about eight feet long and he would have been standing about 27 to 30 feet from the bank, or on the bank from the lake. Chalice finally got the chance to trawl through his holiday photos during the UK's coronavirus lockdown. He shared the image online of the large unknown creature in the hopes of identifying it, believing it was something mundane like a catfish or a seal. The divisive holiday snapshot quickly gathered comments from people speculating the creature was indeed the Loch Ness Monster. Chalice said he doesn't believe in the Loch Ness Monster and there must be a non-mythical explanation for the sighting. My guess would be that what I captured was a catfish or something like that. As seals get in from the sea, then I expect that's what it was, and that would explain why these sightings are so few and far between. Author Roland Watson, who runs the Loch Ness Ness Mystery Blog, told the Daily Record, if this is a genuine picture of a creature in Loch Ness, it would easily rank in the top three of all time, and I would agree, folks, when you see this photo. A digital photograph expert has expressed doubts over the legitimacy of the image, but Chalice maintains it is real. In Scotland, many people believe Nessie does exist, even though the myth was debunked in September last year by a team of Kiwi researchers. The Otago University group, led by by Professor Neil Gemmel, tried to track down the elusive monster using DNA collecting and sequencing. They collected cups of water from three different depths in the loch in order to DNA test for any reptilian monster-like remnants. Lloyd Barr told the project last September the researchers had collected samples from 250 locations within the lake. The team also collected scales, skin, insects, and fur from the loch for testing. After the samples were sent around the world for examination, Gemmel confirmed to reporters in Scotland there was absolutely no evidence of any reptilian sequences. Gemmel also debunked guesses of giant catfish living in the waters. There may be giant catfish in Loch Ness, but we didn't detect any of them, he said. Gemmel explained the most likely explanation for the Loch Ness sighting was eels. There are large amounts of eel DNA in Loch Ness. Eels are very plentiful in the loch system. Is it possible that people are seeing as a giant eel? Well, maybe, he said. So there you go, folks. Look, I don't want to poo-poo someone who's, you know, gone out and done something I haven't. He's actually gone out to the loch. He's taken water samples. He's checked the water samples for DNA. But this is the typical response from established science, which is, oh, well, we've proven it doesn't exist because we didn't find it. You know, we checked the water and it's not there. Folks, this has happened before and they've been wrong. So am I saying that there's a plesiosaur or a typical representation of what many people think is the Loch Ness monster in Loch Ness? No, I'm not saying that. But look, you know, it's a massive body of water. It's very deep. Many people who haven't been to a body of water like this uh, don't realize quite how much volume, how deep, and how dark uh, these areas are. And, you know, it's not like it's a kiddie pool where you can just go and see everything that's in there, you know? It's, it's, It's difficult. So again, you know, I'm just saying, as per normal, this is what really annoys me about these people who call themselves debunkers or skeptics. You know, it's, oh, well, I didn't find it, so it can't be there. You know... Were you there when other people saw it? Have you been there? You know, there's reports of the Loch Ness Monster go back 1,500 years. So were you alive 1,500 years ago? You know? That's what really annoys me is just the sanctimonious attitude of some of these experts that, oh, well, we didn't find it, so that means it can't be there. You know, come on. Just give me a break, people. So, uh, sorry for that aside, folks, but sometimes, you know you know me, I try to give you the real JT, and some of this stuff just really gets on my nerves. And now over to the final um, topic of the news of the damned today, and this was sent in from Adriana in Texas. Thank you very much, Adriana and Nico, and apologies for not giving you a shout-out earlier. And this is from Eyewitness News, ABC7. And this is from Houston. So again, I've got uh, I'll have links to this in the show notes for you. And this one is titled "Mysterious Lights Spotted Flashing in Houston Sky." Several Texas residents capture video of the mysterious flashing lights above Houston overnight. Now this was on June 26th, so this was just this last Friday. Houston, KABC. Several Texas residents captured video of the mysterious flashing lights above Houston overnight. The video above shows the lights hovering in a strange formation, flashing repeatedly. There is currently no word on what they were. Something similar was also spotted in Miami on Wednesday. And folks, I'm sorry. I thought there might be a bit more of a write-up to it. There's not, but there's definitely uh, these videos in here. So, you know, I'll put a link in the show notes. Make sure you go over and check it out. Again, uh, I would be amiss if I didn't tell you, you know, remind you that uh, we've now got a website up for the program. So, you know, you can go to www.theparanormalsun.com or you can go to www.towerstudiosnz, for New Either one of those will take you to the website for the programs for The Fortunate Sun and The Paranormal Sun. Over there, I've got a blog. I try to post up some things that are pertinent to the shows, photos and such. I also, uh, you know, I'll always include anything that you'd like me to explore on the program. So you can always drop me a note over there. You can email me. You can connect with, with the program on Instagram. I've got pages for both programs on Instagram and Facebook group pages. So, you know, I'm out there, folks. If there's anything you'd like me to cover or any questions you got, you know where to find me. I'm just watching this video while I speak to you. Uh, the video you know, from San Antonio or from Houston, sorry. And it is quite fascinating. Um, yeah, it's definitely not the Elon Musk, uh, you know, satellites that are all in a string. These, these more, you know, these look like a star constellation, but much brighter, you know, um, yeah, it's something else. So I'll do some digging on that on, you know, during the week and I'll see if any more news comes up and I'll update you on next week's program. Aside from that, folks, I hope that you've enjoyed the News of the Damned. Always put links in the show notes, as I say. If there's something you'd like me to cover, something in your neck of the woods, don't be afraid to send it through. You can email it to theparanormalsun at gmail.com. Just like the show. For those of you who don't know, that song was first made famous by Robert Johnson. Yes, Robert Johnson, the blues guitarist who supposedly sold his soul to the devil to make him the greatest guitarist in the world at that time. But that's the story for another show. When I think of Chicago, I'm always reminded of the Blues Brothers. So I had to play that version for you. But uh, obviously Chicago's got a lot more going for it than a movie or pizza or the Chicago Fire but I bet a lot of you wouldn't think of UFOs when you first think of Chicago. Tonight I'm going to tell you about a very famous case that happened in the not-too-distant past in 2006 over Chicago O'Hare International Airport. Now Chicago O'Hare itself the airport was named after Edward Butch O'Hare and he was the first Medal of Honor recipient in World War II. It's about 14 miles or 23 kilometers from downtown Chicago. In 2006 it was the busiest airport in the United States in the first half of the year. They had nearly 500,000 takeoffs and landings. They averaged 96 arrivals an hour and that's about one arrival every 38 seconds. Even to this day, it's the sixth busiest airport in the world. The Chicago O'Hare UFO sighting occurred on November 7, 2006, at around 4.15 in the afternoon. A total of 12 United Airlines employees and Andres, a witness from Torian, outside the airport, reported a UFO sighting. The FAA declined to investigate the incident because the UFO was not seen on radar, and they called it a weather phenomenon. At approximately 4.15 Central Standard Time, on November 7, 2006, federal authorities at Chicago O'Hare received a report that a group of 12 employees were witnessing a metallic, saucer-shaped craft hovering over gate C-17. The object was first spotted by a ramp employee who was pushing back United Airlines Flight 446, which was departing Chicago for Charlotte, North Carolina. The employee appraised Flight 446 crew of the object above the aircraft. The object was also witnessed by pilots, airline management and mechanics. No air traffic controllers saw the object and it did not show up on radar. Witnesses described the object as completely silent, 6 to 24 feet which is 1.8 to 7.3 meters in diameter and a dark gray color. Several independent witnesses outside of the airport also saw the object. One described a disk shaped craft hovering over the airport stating that it was, quote, obviously not clouds, unquote. According to this witness, the object shot through the clouds at high velocity, leaving a clear blue hole in the cloud layer. The hole reportedly seemed to close itself shortly afterwards. Some said it appeared as a spinning frisbee, while others said it wasn't rotating at all. All agreed that the object was silent and appeared just below the 1,900-foot cloud deck at around 1,500 feet until shooting off into the clouds and leaving a circular hole in the clouds. A manager on Concourse B ran outside his office after hearing the report about the sighting on an internal airline radio frequency. I knew no one would make a false call like that, but if somebody was bouncing a weather balloon or something else over O'Hare, we had to stop it because it was in very close proximity to our flight operations. There are stories that in the plane that was delayed during the time, The pilots took photos of the object, but that these photos have never been made public. This was discussed in a 2007 CLTV pre-interview on Chicago O'Hare. I've included the link to this in the show notes, folks. According to the Chicago Tribune's John Hilkovich, the disc was visible for approximately 5 to 15 minutes and was seen by close to a dozen United Airlines employees ranging from pilots to supervisors who heard clear chatter on the radio and raced out to view it. I know that what I saw, and a lot of people saw, stood out very clearly, and it definitely was not an Earth aircraft, one mechanic told, the, told reporter John Hilkovich. Now this was definitely not an airplane, the observer said, and many seemed shaken by what they had seen. Some were awed, others were afraid. The witness credibility is beyond question, and safety was a big concern. Hilkovich said during a phone conversation. He noted that all observers independently described the same thing, a hovering disc making no noise as it shot up and left a clear hole in the clouds. The only discrepancies were their size estimations and that some said it was rotating or spinning and others said it wasn't. Now, sadly, folks, every one of these highly credible aviation witnesses, and there were many, as you've heard, there were at least 12, has chosen to remain anonymous due to fears for their job security. One United employee told Hilkovich he could otherwise be perceived as betraying his company. Witnesses do not want to be caught talking to the media since the airline has officially claimed that nothing happened. These witnesses to something that's not supposed to exist, something laughed at by their colleagues, were left alone with their unsettling observations. One of the witnesses later said, I realize that this is a controversial position, but with my extensive knowledge of modern aviation technologies, I know this UFO probably wasn't created on this planet. The FAA and United Airlines at first denied having any information about the incident, but both had to acknowledge the sighting when a tape of the United Supervisor's call to the air traffic control tower was released by the FAA. So I'm going to read a transcript of those tapes for you folks that I found uh, in an excellent book on the, on the subject. I've got a link in the show notes, uh, but I'm just going to read out now the transcript for you of the talk between the control tower at O'Hara and the people on the ground. So it says, Hey, did you see a flying disc out by C-17? Asked the supervisor, giving her name as Sue. Laughter is audible from the tower, Operator Dave, and a second person nearby. That's what a pilot in the ramp area at C-17 told us, she continues. They saw some flying disc above them, but we can't see above us. The laughter continues nervously and Dave replies, "Hey, you guys been celebrating the holidays or anything or what? You're celebrating Christmas today? I haven't seen anything, Sue, and if I did, I wouldn't admit to it. No, I have not been I have not seen any flying disc at gate C17." About 15 minutes later, Sue calls back again, this time reaching operator Dwight. The conversation is as follows. Sue, "This is Sue from United." Laughter. Tower Yes. Serious tone. Twelve-second pause. Sue, there was a disc out there flying around. Tower, there was a what? Sue, a disc. Tower, a disc? Sue, yeah. Tower, can you hang on for a second? Sue, sure. Thirty-three-second pause. Tower, okay, I'm sorry. What can I do for you? Sue, I'm sorry. There was, I told Dave... There was a disc flying outside above Charlie seventeen and he thought I was pretty much high, but um I'm not high and I'm not drinking. Tower yeah Sue So someone got a picture of it. Um so if you guys see it out there Tower a disc like a frisbee? Sue Like a UFO type thing tower yeah yeah okay Sue He got a picture of it <laughs> Tower How how high above Charlie seventeen? Sue. Well, it was about above our tower. Sue. Well, it was above our tower, so... Tower. Yeah. Sue. So, if you happen to see anything... She continues to laugh. Tower. You know, I'll keep a peeled eye for that. Sue. Okay. Unfortunately, the photograph that Sue referenced has never been located. Also, due to the way the towers were constructed, the operators were not able to see the UFO. Its location in the sky was not within their visual field through the glass window because of the roof overhang, so it hovered in what amounted to the tower's blind spot. Planes full of passengers were landing and taking off while the UFO-type thing sat poised in the sky overhead, and no one knew what the thing was, why it was there, or what it might do next. This taped exchange, which includes giggling, Sue's need to proclaim she wasn't high, and Dave's admission that he wouldn't admit it even if he had seen the disc, is a glaring commentary on the UFO taboo that infects aviation personnel even in the midst of an ongoing, possibly dangerous incident being reported by trained observers of aircraft. Now, folks, that's, you know, that's the case all over the world. There's been so many cases and reports that pilots have been told not to discuss UFOs. Internally, pilots talk amongst themselves and are told if you see anything strange in the sky, don't report it because they'll basically say you're unfit to fly, so don't report it. Don't tell anyone if you see it. Only fill out paperwork if it's an absolute must. Both United Airlines and the FAA denied that, that they had any information on the O'Hare UFO sighting until the Chicago Tribune, which was investigating the report, filed a Freedom of Information Act, or a FOIA, request. The FAA then ordered an internal review of air traffic communications tapes to comply with the Chicago Tribune's FOIA request, which subsequently uncovered this call. The FAA stance concluded that the sighting was caused by a weather phenomenon and that the agency would therefore not be investigating the incident. According to astronomer Mark Hammergren, Weather conditions on the day of the sighting were just right for a hole punch cloud, an unusual weather phenomenon. It's something that occurs when a propeller or jet airplane passes through when you have uniform cloud cover and the temperature is right near the freezing point, Hammergren explained. They make liquid water droplets freeze and a hazy disk of ice crystals descends from a hole, and it looks like a perfect hole punched into a cloud. UFO investigators have argued that the FAA's refusal to look into the incident contradicts the agency's mandate to investigate possible security breaches at American airports, such as this case. An object witnessed by numerous airport employees and officially reported by at least one of them hovering in plain sight over one of the busiest airports in the world in broad daylight. Some witnesses interviewed by the Chicago Tribune were apparently upset that federal Federal officials declined to further investigate the matter. Now, the National Aviation Reporting Center on Anomalous Phenomenon, known as NARCAP, published a 155-page report on the sighting and has called for a government inquiry and improved energy sensing technologies. Quote, anytime an airborne object can hover for several minutes over a busy airport but not be registered on radar or seen visually from the control tower, constitutes a potential threat to the flight safety. Which again, folks, I fully agree with. I'm so tired of hearing this excuse that, oh, it doesn't pose any risk. No matter what this was, if it was a drone, if it was a UFO, it it, it was definitely something that all these people saw. I could be nuts, but they couldn't have all been high from aviation fuel or something like that. These were people who were trained to do their job. They worked at this site every day, you know, of their, of their work. They were always at the same site. Why is this the first time that they would report something like this? You know, if this is so common that, you know, everybody hallucinates it or it's a whole punch cloud. Okay, moving on. The Center for UFO Studies scientific director Mark Rodinger said that it's possible an alien craft had appeared in the center's own backyard, and it remains a mystery worth exploring. It's an unknown object over O'Hare, and it's seen by official personnel. And does United or the FAA take it seriously? Of course not. They have zero interest because UFOs can't exist. But how can you not worry about something hovering over an airport after 9-11? It just doesn't make sense, Rodinger said. Journalist Leslie Keane also wrote about it in her book, UFOs, generals, pilots, and government officials go on the record. This is the book that I was uh, referencing before, folks, and I'll put a link in the show notes. And talked about it on the the Colbert Report with Stephen Colbert in 2010, saying the government should investigate the O'Hare incident. This thing was hovering over Chicago O'Hare Airport at rush hour, Keane said. Lots of people saw it. The U.S. government never said a word. Peter Davenport, now I quite like Peter Davenport. He's the director of the National UFO Reporting Center, and I've heard him a lot in the past on Coast to Coast AM, and he often is on there discussing UFO sightings. He was a guest host on the Jeff Rents radio show on December 12, 2006. He brought to the airways a telephone interview of a witness of the November 7, 2006 UFO sighting. The witness is a taxi mechanic who moves aircraft from gate to gate or to the hangars for maintenance. He reported the following. Now, it is potential that this is the person who moved that plane back, because that's exactly his job description. He says, The craft appeared to be hovering right below the ceiling of the cloud cover, about seven or 800 feet. The cloud ceiling that day was 1,900 feet. The top of the craft was clearly outlined as a very dark gray material, but the bottom and the edges of the craft were hazy, like when you see a mirage-like surface of the road on a hot day. The other interesting observation was that after the craft accelerated straight up, observed by other witnesses, there was a hole punched in the clouds. The hole in the clouds was about the same size as the unidentified craft. It looked like a cookie cutter hole stamped out of the dough, very similar in size to the craft. The hole stayed for a little while and then dissipated into the overcast clouds. The sighting lasted about 20 minutes, from the time of the first radio call to the time when the mechanic and witness parked the Boeing 777 that he was taxiing across the airport. No lights were observed on the craft. The craft was estimated to be about 20 to 30 feet in diameter by this witness. The craft was not reported by radar according to the witness. On the west side of the airport, there is a radar that is designed to detect aircraft in the air. There is also a radar for ground traffic. The witness stated that he believed that the guy that was working air traffic control handling inbound ground had to have seen the UFO, but didn't say anything. The witness said that the guys in the tower are, quote, a different breed, unquote, not in a negative way, but because of the responsibilities that they have placed on them. The witness said that it's just a shame that more people won't talk about what they see and what they've experienced. Rather, they seem to go to the lowest common denominator of people to try to debunk, you know, what is out there. This was O'Hare. I know a lot of people saw this. The witness also said that, the tower personnel have communications equipment in the tower at O'Hare to where they can talk to whoever they need to on the military level instantly. And they have a very special computer in there, tied into the ability to tra- to track aerial objects. The witness thought that the personnel on the tower may have supervision that pro- prohibits them from reporting publicly what they saw. He hopes more people will not be afraid to come out and say, Hey, you know what? I saw a blank. The witness also said that he feels very privileged to see what he saw on that day. In the radio show conclusion, the talk show host clarified that the location of the UFO was in Class B airspace. No craft is supposed to be there without a transponder. They speculated that this was something from another planet, and if it was a military craft, why would it be flying right over O'Hare airspace? And again, I wholeheartedly concur, folks. If this was a secret U.S. aircraft... Why in the hell would it be flying over O'Hare Airport? There's lots of places that you could fly craft like this and not be seen. They could fly out over the Great Lakes. Why would you fly over O'Hare? The only reason, the only, you know, uh, logical reason I can think that you would is if you were cloaked. If you had a stealth object that could not be visibly seen, And yet, you know, obviously people saw it, so it just doesn't make sense. So now, folks, I've just got a few of the different explanations and the conclusions on this case. So, radar is not a reliable detector of all aircraft. I just want you to remember that. Stealth planes are designed to be invisible to radar, as we all know. And many radar systems filter out signals not matching the normal characteristics of aircraft. Does it really make sense to entirely ignore the observations of several witnesses, given that the size, shape, and description of the UFO, we struggled to attribute a large black disc very low to the ground that shot off into the clouds at impossible speeds to a weather phenomenon, which, again, I fully agree with. You've got to remember that most of the radars nowadays, it's not someone sitting there and, and just reading a signal, like in the old war movies that you see, where you'll see the radar screen and you see a blip and it bling, bling, and you see the blip going across. There's actually computers that filter the data coming in from the radar dish to remove things like birds and clouds, or else you would have all kinds of false readings. So what they're saying here is that radar is not designed to pick up something like this disk. It's designed to pick up aircraft. Gee, really, at a massive international airport. That's what that radar is there to do. Now, more on that is that the radar at these international airports, they're not designed to pick up stationary objects or objects that are traveling at, at extreme speeds. Only military radar does that. You have to ask yourself, have you ever seen a commercial jet hover in the air like a helicopter? No, not in the real world. So why would you need that functionality in radar? you wouldn't. It, it needs to pick up moving objects. And also over a certain speed, there's no domestic airliner that's going to be traveling at, oh, let's say a thousand miles an hour or two thousand miles an hour, which is often stated speeds of UFOs. So if it's traveling at that speed, again, the radar is not going to pick it up. Now, why is that all so pertinent? Well, in this case, the UFO sat there stationary, and when it took off it was traveling at extremely high speeds so there was no in between so do you see what I'm saying here folks there's a high possibility that the radar never picked it up and I think that if the radar did pick it up it was hushed up now that person in the control tower may very well have talked to the military and may have been told don't worry about it it's not a threat it's not an issue don't worry about it just go on about your business Now, many people have claimed online that the UFO, like I say, you know, it's attributed to undercover, you know, top secret military technology. But again, it's just so unlikely as, you know, the the craft was so fast and the movements and the shapes were, you know, it's beyond anything that we know of that human technology can do. The military, again, wouldn't fly that low over an airport, especially an airport as big as O'Hare in downtown Chicago basically you know again there's lots of better places that they could have done this and again it's restricted airspace Uh, if it was military then the technology used you know there's a high chance that that technology would have bled out into other industries by now we would have heard about it but we haven't seen anything about it and we haven't seen anything that can perform anywhere close to this technology you know I mean you take the F-35 Raptor it can't do any of these things that this craft supposedly did. It can't hover, it can't travel at those speeds, and it definitely doesn't punch a a hole through the clouds. Now on November 7, 2006, the sunset was at 4.38 p.m., so this sighting was just at dusk. Now it wasn't dark enough, even with the overcast, for the lights to be playing any tricks on the witnesses. And this is one of the things that uh, the airline said, oh, well, you know, like I say, the, the witnesses just, you know, it was the lights bouncing off the clouds. Now, do you think that 12 people, most of whom had worked at the airport for many, many years, had never seen what runway lights shining off of the clouds looked like? Again, the point is moot anyway. And the reason that it's moot is it's since been confirmed that no runway lights were operating at the time of the sighting, and it wasn't, as it wasn't dark enough yet to have them turned on. Now there's another very interesting thing here, the hole punch cloud, which is what the skeptics immediately held up and said, here, case solved. Problem solved, no problem. Folks, we know what it was. It was this hole punch cloud. Well, there's an interesting thing about hole punch clouds. Hole punch clouds have to be, have to be formed when you've got a freezing temperature, so below 32 degrees Fahrenheit or below zero degrees Celsius. More on that in just a second. This is nearly as good as, uh, well, the planet Venus landing in a park in Russia, and two or three entities getting out and walking around, or, you know, people drinking hillbilly moonshine and seeing hundreds of uh, flying saucers in the air. So, there was uh, some comments that I read online on the military aspect that there was a Russian stealth bomber that had turned up over Chicago in 2006. Now again, folks, take this with a grain of salt. So here's my question. A Russian stealth bomber turns up over O'Hare Airport. Now, the claimed reason that this isn't, you know, explained by the military is they don't want to admit that the Russians could do this. Okay. Anyone who's been to the U.S. should know Chicago is in, you know, roughly the, you know, middle third from the east coast of the U.S., and it's much further from the Pacific coast. And if you go over Canada and through the Arctic, again, it's, it's quite a significant distance. So why would a Russian stealth bomber fly to Chicago of all places, not New York, not Los Angeles, not Alaska— Not Hawaii, not anywhere on the East Coast, not be sighted through Canada, turn up at O'Hare Airport, hover in the air for 5 to 15 minutes, and then take off without doing anything. I'm sorry, it just, that makes zero sense. Again, you know, even if they were, you know, going to bomb something, if they wanted to kick off a war, why would you start at O'Hare Airport? I know that some of my Chicago listeners may be very fond of your city, but it's not the center of the U.S.'s military industrial might, okay? You know, you would think somewhere like, oh, Pearl Harbor, uh, San Diego, many other places, NORAD, you know, uh, not Chicago O'Hare. So, yeah, that's a head-scratcher. So now on to what I just gave you a little bit of a preamble to before the key factor on that hole punch cloud, as I say, you've got to be below freezing. So the temperature at 1,900 feet above O'Hare Airport on the day of the sighting was 53 degrees Fahrenheit. So folks, that's 20 degrees over freezing. So it's not even borderline, it's not like it was 35 or, and you could explain this by saying, oh, it was very close. No, no, it was a uh, a, a far cry from being freezing. And that was from the National Weather Service. So this is not some kook who said, oh, you know, I I, uh, I checked the temperature on that day in my yard. This is from the National Weather Service. The climatologists and other weather experts all stated that the temperature must be below freezing for a hole punch cloud to form. There's There's no exceptions to this rule. So again, folks, come on. You know, so the reason that all of the debunkers and skeptics jumped onto and said, oh, this explains it all, throw it out. But no one wants to come back and revisit it as far as the skeptics and the debunkers. They just say, no, no, it's already been explained. Now, my friends, there's only one other way that a hole in a cloud can be formed, and that's evaporation by heat. And this just happens to fit what the witnesses said they saw, a high energy round object very likely to be admitting some form of intense radiation or heat while cutting through the cloud bank. Thus, isn't evaporation by heat the most logical explanation, the best guess for what happened? All of the people who saw the O'Hare UFO firsthand, including a few pilots, said they were confident that based upon the overall appearance of the strange craft, that there was no way possible that it could be an airplane, a weather balloon, a helicopter, or any other craft that is known to exist. The witnesses were unsure of what controlled the craft, yet very certain that it was saucer-shaped. The employees at United were irritated that a UFO came into restricted airspace for a few minutes and no one in power took the matter seriously. This seems to be an opposite behavior than what we would expect from experts at the FAA and from O'Hare itself. So maybe word from above was sent down through the chain of command to hush it up before a media frenzy started. Now the NARCAP team also recognize the folly of the explanation about the hole punch cloud. And this is what NARCAP had to say. We postulate that the instantaneous nature of the hole formation, the circular shape, and its sharp edges all point to the direct emission of, for example, electromagnetic radiation from the surface of the oblate spheroid as the proximate cause of the hole in the clouds. We cannot identify the object or phenomenon lying inside the oblate spherical spheroid surface. But two conclusions seem inescapable. One, the object or phenomenon observed would have had to have been something objectly and extremely or externally real to create the whole effect, so it wasn't an illusion or a mirage. And two, the whole phenomenon associated with this object cannot be explained by either conventional weather phenomenon or conventional aerospace craft, whether acknowledged or unacknowledged. The FAA later claimed that lights played tricks with witnesses' eyes that night. But the airport ramp lights, like I say, had not yet been turned on. The only light capable of making a hole through a cloud would be a laser, which would evaporate the droplets and cause a window. O'Hare has no need for burning lasers with 20-foot diameter beams, so that reason by the FAA was not thought out so well. The hole in the cloud was said to exist for up to 14 minutes by some eyewitnesses in the parking lot at O'Hare. This suggests that the object that made the hole was superheated or otherwise radiated, possibly with microwaves, energy that would have to be in the order of 9.4 kilojoules. Now look, folks, as I say all the time on this show, I don't have all the answers. I don't have most of the answers. That's why I do this program. That's why I am a lifelong seeker of knowledge. So what are we left with here? Are we left with people celebrating Christmas and, you know, drinking starting early? Are we left with a hole-punch cloud that apparently occurred at 20 degrees over the threshold for it to happen? Are we left with some sort of stealth aircraft from Russia that no one's ever seen, no one has ever talked about, nothing's ever leaked, that came into America, turned up over the busiest airport in the U.S. at the time, did nothing, sat there for 5 to 15 minutes, and then just left? Or maybe, just maybe, are we dealing with something that we don't know? Are we dealing with a potential UFO, whether from this world or elsewhere, that we don't have an answer for? I'll tell you this much, folks. This case for what happened, where it happened, it's a shame. There's not more out there on the internet. There's it, A lot of people know about it, but they know the very short soundbite, the 30-second or one-minute bit that you know people at O'Hare saw this. There's not a lot more out there on the Internet, unfortunately. I wish there really was. All we can really hope is that going forward, more and more people start to come out and start talking about this case, as they have with some of the others in the past. Again, you've got to remember, with witnesses, a lot of this comes down to basic humanity. People are worried to lose their jobs. People are worried to lose their pensions. People are afraid to be ridiculed and mocked by their company and by their fellow employees and friends. They're afraid to lose promotions, and they don't want to look like idiots to their families. So maybe in another 10 years or 20 years, as people start to retire, we may find out more. Now, I've heard many skeptics say, oh, well, this happened in 2006. There should have been all kinds of photos. I don't know about you, but I can remember 2006. And cell phone technology at that time was not that good that you had a photo, you know, a camera that could take an excellent photo of something, especially that distance from the ground. I can take my iPhone 7 outside and take photos of the moon now, and all I get is just kind of a little small blotchy light, on the photo. It doesn't come out very nice, it doesn't come out very clear. And that's with an iPhone 7, which there was nothing anywhere close to that, be it digital camera or phone camera at that time. It only would have been a true photographer's camera that would have had something that good. Now that being said, there have been a few photos that I've seen on the net, and I will be posting those on Instagram in the next few days. So keep your eyes peeled folks, I will put those up as teasers to try to get people to listen to the program and I'll post these photos. They are your typical UFO disc type photos. One is a artist's rendition. So they had a witness describe it, and the artist took it. And then I've actually seen a photo, which I was quite interested by because I didn't know about it. I don't know how authentic that photo is, but it matches the descriptions that I've heard. Now the next program, folks, is going to be quite interesting. It's going to be a bit open-ended, it may even be a two-parter, but it's going to be on the subject of reincarnation. I find it quite fascinating, I find it extremely interesting, and I think you will too. I think there'll be some cases there you may know, but there'll be a lot of cases you never would have heard of. So with that, my friends, I'd like to wrap up with a quote from Art Bell, as always. And that quote is, A mind should not be so open that the brain falls out. However, it should not be so closed that whatever gray matter which does reside within may not be reached. Stay safe, folks. Until next time.